You are listening to audio messages from Sunday mornings at Horizon. It is our hope and desire that this podcast would be a useful tool in your growth and in your walk with Christ. If you've not yet subscribed to our various channels, make sure you do so in order to stay up to date with the most current messages. More information about Horizon, as well as notes for this message, can be found at www.horizonweb.org. There are some stories that end with a quaint little phrase, and they lived happily ever after. But this is not one of those stories. This is the grim tale of Ananias and Sapphira. The early church had begun to flourish, and all the believers were getting along quite splendidly. They shared everything they had with one another, claiming nothing as their own. There were no needy people among them. Those who owned fields or houses sold them and brought the proceeds to the apostles as a gift. Joseph was one such man who sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles as an offering. And oh, what a wonderful blessing it was to everyone. All the believers were encouraged and celebrated Joseph's selfless act. Well, not everyone. A couple named Ananias and Sapphira, who were counted among the believers, saw the way Joseph was admired and grew very jealous. He thinks he's better than us, they grumbled to each other. We deserve that kind of attention. They dwelt on it day and night. Finally, one night, they devised a plan to sell a piece of land, secretly keeping part of the money for themselves and giving the rest to the apostles. They would not necessarily say they were giving all of the money they received from the sale. They would just let everyone assume it, and presto, they would instantly be famous as self-sacrificing believers who surrendered everything to Jesus. So, with his wife's consent, Ananias sold the land, secretly kept part of the money, and brought the remainder to the apostles. But Peter saw right through Ananias, saying, Ananias, why have you let evil fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor dead. Everyone who heard the news was filled with fear. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, Sapphira came in, not knowing what had happened. Everyone nervously watched as Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? The room fell silent. Yes, she replied. That was the price? Peter responded, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test God like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than she also fell down dead. When the young men returned, they found her body. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. By this time, the whole church and, in fact, everyone who heard of these things had a newfound respect for God. So, unfortunately, there's no happy ending in this tale, but there is a warning here to take God very seriously Dare I say, deadly serious.
<laughs> well, that was a creepy way to start the service. <laughs> I didn't write that. God did, by the way. That's Acts chapter 5. And I uh, want to welcome those who are watching online. Lodi, I was able to be with you in Lodi on Friday. They do that fervent prayer night once a month. And I'm telling you, you ought to come out and check that out. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cool time. Stephen Francine have been doing that now for 10 months. And uh, they won't do it in December because just the craziness of December. But they'll start back up in January. It was great to hang out with the Lodi gang. But it's not just for Lodi, it's for Gaul too. So be aware of that. Yeah, Acts chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Great fear seized the whole church, and all who heard these events take place. Um, again, in our world today, I believe in many churches today, and I believe some in this room today, and those listening to my voice, we want, they want to emphasize that God is love, which is true. It's God is love, but he is so much more than that. And that's the whole purpose of going through this, the attributes of God, the characteristics of God, because we're trying to understand who God is because God does not want to be worshipped in ignorance. And if we just emphasize that God is love, God is love, without seeing the other things, like we're talking today, we're going to talk about God's justice. We're going to be talking about God's mercy, and we're going to be talking about God's grace. They're all intertwined together. But like all these things, if we don't have a proper understanding, we've said from the very beginning, your understanding of who God is dictates the course and future of your life. And if it this is so true in these three that we'll be discussing today. If you don't have a proper understanding of God's justice, you will not understand the need for mercy and you will not comprehend grace and how beautiful and amazing it is. We use Hebrews 11.6. It says, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. The unknowable wants to be known and he rewards us with the knowledge of himself, which again helps dictate our life, dictates our future. That's part of that reward of understanding who he is. And we've been working through this book called uh, The Knowledge of the Holy by W. Tozer. I encourage you, this is a book you need to have on your shelf. Um, it is a great book uh, written by a gentleman that uh, inspired generations. I think I said at the beginning, one of my favorite authors is Charles Swindoll. And he always talked about Tozer, how it influenced him. And now I get it, uh, maybe because I'm older now. Um, that is probably more true. We've been talking about the attributes, the characteristics of God that Scripture has allowed us to see. I'm sure God, I guarantee you God is much more than that, but this is what he says. This is what you guys can handle. This is what you guys can understand. This is what you guys need to know when it comes to who God is. We start off with the self-existence, self-sufficiency, and eternity of God. Jeff then took the infinitude, the immutability, and the omniscience of God, that God knows everything. 
After that was wisdom of God, omnipresence, omnipotence of God, the power of God, the transcendence of God. And Stephen did a great job last week. The omnipresence of God, the faithfulness of God, and the goodness of God. Again, today is justice, mercy, and grace. Let's start off with the justice of God, the harder of the three, obviously. But this, again, I can't stress this enough. Um, probably of all the characteristics, this is the hardest one to deal with because it, it's painting God as one who is just, who will bring wrath and retribution, which is true. You can't, from Genesis to Revelation, you will see that truth. It's not just an Old Testament thing. Read book of Revelation, you can't get very far without seeing that taking place. According to the dictionary, justice is just behavior or treatment, the quality of being fair and reasonable. And Tozer defines it this way, justice, when used of God in a name we give to the way God is, nothing more. And when God acts justly, he's not doing so to confirm to, to conform to an independent criterion, but simply acting like himself in a given situ situation. God is just. It's like gold. It doesn't matter where you find gold. Gold is gold. It's on the periodic table. It doesn't matter how deep it is, doesn't, but it's gold. Whether you find it in South Africa or you find it up in the hills here in California, gold is gold no matter what. And God is just no matter what. Psalm 89.14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Love and faithfulness go before you, this is David speaking. I mean, but your throne is built on righteousness and justice, and righteousness and justice are like this. Love is there, guys. Yes, God is love. But his throne is built on justice. And in that, there is never a conflict. Sometimes when we, th we think of God, we get a picture in our mind that God is on the throne uh, in the judgment court. He's got his gavel, and he's about to do sent a sentence of someone who did something wrong, but he's weeping and crying that he has to, has to, has to give judgment to it. That's not God. God is never in conflict with himself. No attribute of God is in conflict with another. It's not like sometimes, oh, I'll just be just here. No, but then I'm going to not be just, and then I'm going to be loving. We're in conflict all the time. You guys were in conflict when you look, do I wear this? Do I, should, do I, do I eat this this morning, or do I wait for lunch? I mean, we're always in conflict. We're always wondering what we should do and whether we should do it and everything else. God is never in conflict because of who his character is. And David knew that. Dave wrote, David wrote in Psalm, I called him Dave. I guess I'd have to know David pretty close. <laughs> David, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now watch this. So that you are proven right when you speak and justify when you judge. Justice is not optional for God because it's who he is. And because he, just, he judges justly with truth. Because he knows it all. Remember the omniscience. He knows everything. So his judgment's not based on, I don't like you, I'm going to give you this. I like this person more, I'm going to give you this. His judgment will always be true. We read that in 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot dis disown himself. 
in your notes, it's a two-pager note thing because I just, I, I, it was just too much stuff to try to wrap up in one page. Rarely do I go to two pages in the notes, but there's so much there that I can't cover in a morning that you need to open up your Bible and look up for yourself because when it comes to justice, there's legislative justice, there's dist distributive justice, there's rewarding justice, there's punitive justice that God shows himself throughout all of Scripture. But here's the problem we have with that, especially in the church today, because there is this push, and it, it's been a push for quite a while, but you're just seeing it more, especially in evangelical churches that begin to use this terminology of universalism, which means simply this, you're all going to go to heaven anyways. Everybody's going to go there because God is too good, too kind, and too loving to send anyone to hell. So no matter what you do, whatever you, however you live, eventually you're going to get there. And guys, that is not true. That is not what the scripture teaches. That preaches well well because everyone feels good. Everyone feels good. I can live any which way I want. And it doesn't matter to God. And I'm here to say it does matter to God. God is just. And in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the writers knew that, that we are all headed for judgment. The writers knew wrath is coming. The writers knew that the axe will someday fall on this world. John MacArthur puts it this way, God never judges unless judgment is deserved. He's a God of absolute justice. And if God judges and God pours out wrath, then there is every confidence in my heart to know that's exactly what is right and proper in that situation. Now, the thing is, God sometimes will relent in his justice, but it's not that he doesn't give justice. God establishes his justice, and he will not finish. This will not end until justice is finally served in all things. Even Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ came to bring a better world. But Jesus Christ came to say, guys, ultimately, he will have the judgment. He will have the decision. And he will make things right over the centuries and centuries of rebellion on this world. Just read Revelation. You'll see that. And why I, we put these three together of justice mercy and grace is because they all work together like a big symphony. Justice is the melody that's always being sung, but then the harmonies of mercy and grace come together and fill out the symphony. Yeah, you can understand the justice of God, but guys, just like a music here, I mean, there's some great harmonies here this morning. I mean, you hear the melody first and then the harmonies come in. It just fills it up and makes it more beautiful. And that's the mercy, justice, and grace of God all working together, joined together to form this beautiful thing. But understand something, God's mercy does not blunt the force of his justice. There's going to come a day when the axe handle will fall on this world. And again, from Genesis to Revelation, it says that. In the book of Isaiah, Israel, so many times, uh, and we can't get too mad at Israel because Israel does what we do all the time. We hear God, we, oh yes, you're our God, and then we start doing our own thing, and then we start making horrible decisions. And Isaiah, Israel had done that. They decided to join forces and have Egypt be their protector, Egypt of all people. And God says this in Isaiah 30, verses 12 through 14. 
Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you have rejected this message, relied on oppression and dependent on deceit, that's Egypt, this sin will become for you a, like a, a high wall cracked and bulging that collapses suddenly in an instant. It'll break into pieces like pottery shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment would be found for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. Because of choices, God brings judgment. I came across these questions, and I, they're very piercing questions. They're in your notes. Is the God you worship one who ever smashes rebellion against him? I think about that. When you go to pray, when you go to worship, is your focus all on the love of God or someday judgment's going to come down? Someday he is going to separate the wheat from the, from the weeds. Someday this is all going to take place. When you worship God, when you pray to him, is that the God you pray and worship to? Heavier question, when you close your eyes to pray, is there ever a sense that he could right now righteously decimate billions of people for refusing and insulting him? That sin really is that repulsive and insidious. Again, sometimes we just, ah, oh, sorry, I sinned against you, boom. But do we ever get the fact that, understand that God hates sin? He hates what it does to you. It hates what it does to other people. It ha he hates what it does to a, our relationship with him. That God will someday bring justice. Much like the Hebrews 11.6 passage that God rewards those who earnestly seek him, one chapter later it says, but our God is what? A consuming fire. And sometimes we put that aside for more of the fluffier understandings of who God is. That someday Jesus Christ is going to come and he'll bring terror to the nations. Again, read Revelation. The thing about justice is, is that justice may be hidden for a time, but it will always come back. How could we feel the full weight of his mercy toward us if we ignore and marginalize the fury of his justice? See, you can't understand when he extends mercy, if you don't understand what he could and will do if he didn't extend that mercy to us. We will never understand, again, grace until you understand the mercy that he has given to us. And here's the deal. R.C. Sproul says this, God does not always act with justice. Sometimes he acts with mercy. Mercy is not justice, but it is not injustice. Injustice violates righteousness. Mercy manifests kindness and grace and does no violence to righteousness. We may not see, we may see non-justice in God, which is mercy, but we will never see injustice in God. And here's the deal. This is why the cross, if you understand the justice, mercy, and grace, the cross was at, one, at once the most horrible and the most beautiful example 
of God's justice, when his wrath was poured out on Jesus, it was the most just, the most merciful, and the most gracious act in history. Because at that time, the wrath of God, reserved for sinners, you and I, was poured upon Jesus instead of us. We were given mercy. When you understand, again, who God is, when you understand his justice, this will dictate the course and future of your life. If you understand that there are times when God is going to act justly, much like Ananias and Sapphira, just to give us a warning, hey guys, this is real. Let's talk about the mercy of God. In my systematic theology book, the mercy of God describes his focused character of compassionate forgiveness toward his people, especially in light of their distrustful and dire circumstances. Tozer says this, mercy is an infinite and inexhaustible energy within the divine nature which disposes God, deposes God to be actively compassionate. David Mathias, Mathis says that mercy of God is one of the most precious realities in the world, one of the most revealing themes in all the Bible, and one of the most tragically misunderstood truths about God. If we want to see the heart of God, mercy is where we see his heart. Because mercy is something he extends. It's nothing that we can just go out and get. It's something that he willingly gives us. Because we deserve punishment. We are sinners. We deserve what's coming to us if justice is going. But when God extends mercy, he is choosing not to give us justice, but to not give us what we deserve. Moses, when he wants to see God, I want to see you, God. God shows himself, but look how God reveals himself. Exodus 33, 19. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence, for I have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I have compassion on whom I have compassion. He doesn't start with fire and anger and wrath. He starts with mercy and compassion. Let me show you my, I'm going to show you my glory. This is what I'm choosing to reveal to you first, is my mercy and compassion. Later on, when he's receiving the Ten Commandments, Moses sees again the glory. It says the Lord in uh, Exodus 34, 6 through 7. And as he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, which is Yahweh. When you see the capitalized letters, L-O-R-D in caps, that's God's name, Yahweh, being spoken there, written down there. The compassionate and gracious God who is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Again, how he chooses to show himself in his glory is through his mercy, through his compassion. But we have to hold something clear here, that God is not going to just sweep sin under the carpet and ignore that it exists. Someday, wrath will pour down on this earth, but wrath already poured down on Jesus Christ on the cross. 
in the Old Testament, you will find mercy in several places. And again, in your notes, you can look those things up on all the scripture where David found mercy. Jeremiah went for mercy. Jesus was the epitome of mercy. Paul marveled at God's mercy. Romans 9, 22 through 23. What if God, this question here, what if God choosing to show his wrath and make his power known bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the object, objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? What if God has held back his wrath in order to show his mercy so that we could understand what we could have gotten, but God chose not to give us that at that time? In Romans chapter 11, the passage is talking about um, the olive tree and how Israel, who was a part of that olive tree, but because of disobedience was cut off and thrown onto the ground. And Gentiles, who that's who we are, the non-Jews, unless you're a Jew here, and you're, you're a Messianic Jew, but most of us are Gentiles, non-Jew. We, because of our choice to believe in him, were grafted into the olive tree. But Paul was warning them, because he says, you Gentiles would say, see, Jews were kicked out, we were in, no, 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 no. He says, be careful. The same God who cut off Israel because of disobedience you have no problem cutting you off too and grafting back in Israel. One, because he's God. In Romans 11, it says in verse 30, just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too now become disobedient and or that they, that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Mercy, if you take mercy away, what are we left with? What would we be today without mercy? We'd still be in our sin. We'd still have death sentence. We'd still be bound for hell. Unless God chose to, satisfy his wrath which we deserve we deserve punishment because of our sin but now he extends mercy into us not giving us what we deserve Charles Wesley one of the great hymn writers wrote this arise my soul arise shake off the guilty fears the bleeding sacrifice in my, in my behalf appears before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. My God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child I can no longer fear. With confidence I now draw nigh. And Father, Abba, Father, cry. Because of the mercy of God. So let's talk about the grace of God. 
Noah found grace. I mean, a lot of times we put grace as a New Testament thing, wrath and mercy is an Old Testament thing, but it's found again throughout the entire scripture. Noah found grace in his eyes. Moses found grace in his eyes. This word grace is constantly. I love how Tozer put it. He says, God will always be himself and grace is an attribute of his holy being. He can no more hide his grace than the sun can hide its brightness. Men may flee from the sunlight to a dark and musty caves of the earth, but they cannot put out the sun. So men may, so men may in any dispensation despise the, the grace of God, but they cannot extinguish it. Now, what you have to understand about grace is it is impossible for anyone, anywhere, at any time to deserve, to deserve grace. By its own definition, grace is undeserved. Justice is deserved, but mercy and grace are something that God extends to us. We don't deserve it. It's by his good nature, because of his love, that he extends mercy, that he extends grace to us. Sproul, R.C. Sproul says, God never owes grace, ever. We deserve justice. But sometimes when we think we deserve grace, you're mixing up grace and justice because grace is totally undeserved. And God in his patience and forbearance warns us over and over again, guys, that someday this acts of judgment is going to happen. And he puts reminders in the scriptures to let us know that. That there are times when he has to remind us, guys, this day's coming. Let me remind you again. There's a story found in the Old Testament. The high priest's son, sons, their name was Nadab and Abihu, who decided to give an offering that they were not supposed to give. And because of that, both of them dropped dead. If you know the story of uh, Uzziah with David, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines. David's going to bring it back in. And as it's on a cart, which one, it should never have been a cart. It should have been carried. All of a sudden, it begins to roll, and Uzziah puts up his hands and to stop it. And right then, he had dropped dead. And you go, well, he was, he was just trying to stabilize the Ark. No, the ark wasn't supposed to be in a cart. The ark wasn't supposed to be touched by hands. And all of a sudden, again, God says, I'm going to show you my righteousness. I'm going to show you my justice. This is what happens. And even in the story with Ananias and Sapphira, because a lot of times we think, well, that's an Old Testament God. God doesn't do that in the New Testament. Ananias and Sapphira, they just held back a little money. I mean, what's the big deal? Come on. I mean, they gave the majority up to God. I mean, what's the... Big deal. And even though God gave them an opportunity to come clean, they chose not to. And God said, boom. And guys, that's why you read in Corinthians where this, the Corinthians were, well, the Corinthians are a lot screwed up a lot of times in Paul's church. They're just trying to get them to understand. He says, guys, some of you are sick. Some of you have died prematurely because of the, how you're acting. Because that's the God of the New Testament. And again, if we sit back and God is love and he's just always going to forgive me, which is mostly true. But let's not forget that God will judge. God will bring that down and he brings those reminders that we need to be careful. Be careful while we enjoy the benefits of grace. Don't forget the justice. Don't forget the gravity of sin. 
And God is saying, remember, I am holy. We need to be at the forefront of that. Because once we understand God's holiness, God's justice, that God has to judge sin because he is holy, then mercy and grace become amazing because God doesn't have to do it. Remember what the Bible tells me. I'm born in sin. I'm guilty. I'm an enemy of God, the scriptures say. I'm deserving of death. I'm the unrighteous. And all the scriptures are in your notes to look, look those things out. I am bound for hell unless the mercy and grace of God shows up. And that's why grace is so awesome. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Some of you guys memorize that in your, in your discipleship class. It's for by grace we've been saved. Through faith. Not as a result of anything we've done. Not by works, so that no one can boast. It is a free gift, the grace that has been given to us. That's what saves us. It's not anything that I've built up. It's the grace that he has chosen to extend to me, that this grace is a gift. And I've used this illustration before, but again, if I decided, hey, I want to I give you my iPad. It's a great iPad. It's got a bunch of programs on here. It's got a drawing program. It's got, you know, this is one of my notes, and I can make changes with a pen, an Apple pen. It's fantastic. I want to give this to you. But then if you say, oh, dude, you can't, I don't know you that well to give me an iPad. I tell you what, let me, let me give you some money for it. Then it's not a gift. You can't buy a gift. A gift is free. But there's one critical thing about a gift. You can look at it. Oh, I've always wanted an iPad. Man, I can watch movies. I can download this. I can take it wherever I want. It's light. Wow, all this stuff is true. But until you take it for yourself, which I'm kidding. This is my iPad. You can't have it. Okay. <laughs> it's not a gift until you receive it. You can talk about it all day long. You can know everything they can do. But until you take it for yourself and receive it, it's not a gift yet. And God's grace, that's his extension. That's what he gives us. He gives us that grace freely. Justice, mercy, grace. Let me tie these three together. Justice is getting the bad we deserve. Mercy is not getting the bad we deserve. Grace is getting the good that we don't deserve. You have a judge. Well, let's, let's, no, let's put him as a governor. The governor of the state, which unfortunately this happens too much, but it does illustrate justice, mercy, and grace. A governor has before him a person who's committed heinous crimes of murder. And they're guilty. 100%. They've admitted their guilt. They told they said everything about he's guilty and he is facing the death penalty. So it's not this state obviously. He's guilty. And so the governor has the right to either allow justice to be served or he can extend what? A pardon. And a pardon Change it doesn't give the person what they do deserve, but gives them what they don't deserve. I mean, they deserve death and they've been pardoned, and now they have been they're getting the bad that mercy is not getting the bad they deserve. 
But if all of a sudden he gives grace, that same governor then releases him from prison, sets him free, buys them a mansion with an unlimited credit card. And you would see that and go, that's crazy. Because why? We're people of justice. We want justice. When there's something wrong happen, we want justice. And we, wait a minute, you're, all right, okay, maybe not death, life in prison. But man, what happens when all of a sudden that person is released and is set free and is given a blank check? We go crazy inside. But that's what happened to me. This next week will be 44 years ago. I should have received justice. But God extended mercy to me through his son, Jesus Christ. And upon receiving that, I no longer have a death sentence. Not only have I been extended mercy, but now he's made me free and given me a blank check of living in him for the rest of eternity. Justice, mercy, grace. Justice. God has to judge sin. He's holy. He has to. Romans 3.23. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of you. Even your little baby. Born a sinner. All right? Little baby. Got one, we got a grandchild coming in December. But babies, how quickly do they learn? If I cry, I get something stuffed in my mouth. That's just how it works. And the wages, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. That's what we deserve. And judgment, justice, God gave because on the cross... My sins, your sins, were placed upon Christ. And Jesus Christ suffered the full wrath of God in my place. Mercy was extended. And he says, this can be yours if you receive the forgiveness that is only through Jesus Christ. Guys, that's why the cross... As I said it earlier, the cross was at once the most horrible and the most beautiful example of God's justice. When his wrath was fully poured onto Jesus, but it was the most just and most merciful and gracious act in history because it brought forgiveness to my soul. When you wrap your mind around the fact that God must judge sin. And guys, someday, his grace, God is infinite, and God is infinitely gracious, but his grace will someday come to an end. That opportunity for pardon will come to an end. That's why the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Because you don't know what tomorrow brings, and that's just fact reality. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to, ooh, I'm trying to say, guys, God, they're coming a time for all of us where this life will end. Therefore, understand what God has given you as a gift that He wants you to pick up and receive for yourself. It can't, I can't give it to you. 
I, I can only point you the way. And much like I did 44 years ago in a college library, prayed to not only for my sins to be forgiven, I repented of those things, and then I asked Jesus to come in and rule and reign my life. And for 44 years, I'm not perfect, mind you. I sin just like everybody else. But God has been so good, so merciful, and so gracious. And that's why I say it is such amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. As I've said it before, if I knew what you had been thinking this week, I wouldn't let you in the doors. But if you knew what I was thinking this week, you wouldn't come and sit down and listen to me. Only by the grace of God am I here. But you've got to accept it. You've got to receive it. It's been provided. And someday that's going to come to an end. Um, don't wait. Your understanding of who God is dictates the course and the future of your life. And as I was out in my poker room this early this morning, all of a sudden Psalm 23, 6 came to my mind. Because surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not by anything I've done. All because of his mercy and grace. I'll be down here if you want to talk about that. Because if you don't know, don't, don't put that off because God is just. The hammer is going to fall someday. He's waiting for as many to come to him as possible. But someday, and we're hoping for that day, sometimes more days than others we're hoping for that day, that'll come. And that's when judgment will fall on this earth because God is just. But he's given us mercy. And he's shown us grace through his son, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you um, that you are a just God. You are a holy God. Help us not forget that, Father. And we are to live in fear of that. Much like I fear my dad could punish me, take things away. But I loved him with all my heart. I thank you that you're a merciful God and you're one who gives us grace. May we reach out and grab hold of that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org.